Today on the Starting Eleven podcast, we talk the death of Sorry Ball, Liverpool finally regaining their swagger, and the roster woes at Toronto FC. All that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode 5 of the Starting Eleven podcast. I'm your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today is Peter Robinson. Hey. And the one, the only, the always on time, Chengiz. <laughs> Did you know that 1 in 10 Americans think that HTML is a sexually transmitted infection? <laughs> it, it's not? Well, 1 in 3 <laughs> Canadians certainly think it's a sexually transmitted infection. <laughs> Busted. So, um... Here at the pod, we play this game every week, and the <laughs> game is called When Will Chengiz Officially Arrive? Mm. And the way that it works is that Chengiz gives us a time that he's going to be here to record, and then Peter and I, while we're sitting and waiting, have to guess what time he'll actually arrive today. And I'm happy to say that he actually showed up less than an hour after he said he was going to. And that's a rarity, because no, I'm pretty sure, Peter, you said somebody said that was a record? Yeah, it was a record-breaking time today. So, so we appreciate congratulations. you doing better, my friend. You win the award. <laughs> <laughs> right. But You know, um, you know the shtick's going to get old at some point, right? It's never get, just like your jokes, this is never going to get old. Yeah, but the thing is, my jokes are different every week, and this shtick is the same every single week. But your timing always changes. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I and the excuses just get less and less, so I love it. But that being said, we are drinking some fantastic beer today. Peter, please tell me what this is, because I want to drink more of it. Uh, today, we have the Ebb and Flow. So it's a Muskoka Session Sour. For anyone who hasn't tried sour beer before, a little bit of a different taste. Uh, but it's pretty good. It also um, gives you supersonic, ultrasonic voice box. It does, yeah, if you want to use that. <laughs> um, but it is. It's com- something completely different. Not a high ABV, so um, it's pretty good. Your mouth just constantly salivates as you're drinking it. Like, it just, you want more? It's great eating it, like, with food. Eating the beer with food? Yeah. <laughs> you have to eat it with food. It is a candy beer, so I suppose that does apply. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. But we are here to talk about football and we are going to start. Oh, I thought we were talking about me being late. Well, we're going to start with that, but then we're going to jump into what we're actually here for. People don't want to listen to you. No, nobody who cares about <laughs> Nobody just tunes into to this podcast <laughs> to listen about football. So <laughs> we're going to start uh, at the Etihad with uh, Chelsea's. Worst defeat in 28 years. They were demolished 6-0 by Manchester City. Uh, Sergio Aguero with a hat-trick again. Oh, is it safe to say, guys, that Saribal is now officially dead after this? No. No? Why do you no, say that? No, because they're not playing badly when they went forward and they had the ball. They strung passes together. They had a good shape about them. They've just been found out. There's a difference there. I think something needs to change at Chelsea. Definitely in the short term, if they keep Sari, Sari has to perhaps relent a little bit and try and figure out a system that the players seem to like. This whole situation has come about because Chelsea players have too much power. There was a there was a report that came out this today actually uh, by uh, Chelsea correspondent Miguel Delaney for the Independent in, in England. Um, and as part of that report, he uh, seemed to suggest that the players felt overwhelmed tactically 
because apparently there's too many tactics for, from Maurizio Sarri. God forbid millionaire footballers have to learn tactics. I mean, it's your one job. Right. And that and showing up to training. Yeah. And it just this whole situation is just not ideal for this club. This club has been suffering from a player power, you know, uprising or whatever you want to call it but just this this dynamic with the the players always have the final say as to what happens in the club and how they play football and that's not right so i noticed that as well when i was watching the game i noticed that chelsea were not they weren't horrible on the ball like they they looked okay when they had it so the question then was was chelsea really that bad or was city just that good i think city was just that good uh aguero is just off the mark for the past two matches, he's been unstoppable. You get him the ball, he's going to put it in the, in the goal. That's how it's been, um, and he, he's continued to do that. I think he just set the Premier League record or tied the Premier League record for hat-tricks uh, with that one. It's 11 or 12, something like that. And he's like probably going to break it, let's be He'll honest. probably break it. That, that team is just offensively so powerful. But, I mean, at the time, Chelsea is leaking goals. Uh, to, to allow four against Bournemouth, six against City. Granted, they beat Huddersfield 5-0, but again, that's Huddersfield. That's They're Huddersfield. kind of the <laughs> whipping boy of the Premier League. Um, a lot of their goals were extremely well worked. And, you know, City are a swashbuckling, fantastic attacking side. There's no doubt about that. I'd say two of the goals came from really bad defending. The first one with Raheem Sterling with that fourth-minute tap in I suppose um, where basically they had a free kick on the right wing Marcos Alonso did not track his man he actually went central which I don't understand that gave the man plenty of space to cross the ball in he had time on the ball he could pick out somebody and in and up in the back of the net then the Ross Barkley back header that was atrocious and that was good instincts from Aguero to anticipate it and to get on the end of that and to finish it um, so you take those two goals out of the equation 4-0. Chelsea, sorry, Man City 4, Chelsea 0. I think most people would agree with that. I think 6-0 is a little unfair to Chelsea, but you know, for all the for all the fancy movement and passing that they did have, they didn't have an end product. Their defense was generally quite horrible, and more importantly, they just looked like they didn't give a shit. I think Chelsea suffers from that. It at least that's what it's been in the past few few seasons. Um when they don't agree with what a manager's doing or the, the way a manager is setting the team up, they don't care. That's, at least that's what it looks like. Yeah. And after speaking to a few Chelsea fans, they're disgusted. It, sorry was supposed to come in and give the team shape, yet still have, like you said, that swashbuckling mentality of going forward and being able to uh, manufacture goals. Um, and it's just not working right now. And it's it's kind of working opposite because when Sari first came in, he said, you know, bear with me. It's going to take time for the tactics to kind of come together, and then you're going to see a team starting to gel. And this season kind of felt like it was the opposite because we saw Chelsea at the beginning of the season pulling out results. Um, you know, they were a good playing side. well. They were a good side, and they they looked like they were going to be threatening, possible for the title. Uh, and then it kind of starting to fall apart now. Mm. And so, as opposed to kind of be patient and see what happens, it kind of seems like it was working, and now it's falling apart. And you kind of have to find out why. Um, Eden Hazard was not great on the night. Marcus Alonso looked trash. Uh, Jorginho did not look good. So the the issue there was that Chelsea as a team just 
did not look good. The the players that they that they expect to come out and perform weren't performing. And I mean, I understand that when you come out and you play, you know, high pressing football, which Chelsea did against a team like City, then you open yourselves up to risk of being blown out 6-0. But the thing is that for a team with the quality of Chelsea, you need to have a back line that can even when you're high pressing, you need to have a back line that can that can keep balls out of your net. And Chelsea just didn't look like they had that. And that, not that's just a that, big problem. That's not enough against City, though. You need to, you need your wingers to come back and help back and defend. You need your midfielders to come back and defend. You know, you need to be, you need to have seven people behind uh, the ball when City attack. And quite frequently, they only had three or four. You know, I you contrast that to Manchester City when 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 Chelsea did break with the ball, you saw Bernardo Silva just legging it to get back. You saw Kevin De Bruyne legging it to get back. You saw Sterling legging it back, to, legging it all the way back to to defend. The only person who stayed up top was Aguero, and that's how you should be as a top level football club. Like forget forget title contenders. Think about Champions League uh, contenders or Europa League contenders or any kind of uh, silverware winning side you have to come back on defense it's just not an option anymore it it has to happen this is it's just this is so frustrating because it's like for you know we've had so, Chelsea has seen so many world-class managers come in I, I I don't know of another club that's had that many high-profile coaches. They're a revolving door of European champions winners and they title winners. They have no director of football. They don't have a grand vision. I think Roman Abramovich wants like Barcelona-type football, but he hasn't got a director of football. He hasn't got, uh, you know, he doesn't give managers any time to implement their vision. I think Conte wanted to ship half the players out before he left. And I mean, he probably should have after, after watching that match. Yeah. Uh, it, if I'm a Chelsea supporter, half those players that were playing, they don't deserve to wear the shirt. No. I'll be completely honest with you. It's, it's getting to a point with Chelsea where they can't even do anything now that the transfer window's open, so they have to kind of or close. They now have to deal with what they have. Yeah. And Sarri doesn't have the pieces available to him based on his own ineptitude and his own expenditure on getting uh, a player that he relied on, on Jorginho who, let, let's face it, he, he was good at Napoli because he had players around him that yeah. he worked well with, and he was in a system that he worked well with. Um, I, but, think, I think Syria is also a very different league from... Completely different. Uh, from the Prem. It's less physical. It's less physical. It's more tactical. Yeah, uh, it's a little slower. See, it is slower, and you, and you see a lot more um, movement on the ball. So I feel like tactics like Sarri Ball kind of work in that regard in the Serie A. You try to bring that same tactic to the Prem, and I, I don't think it necessarily but, always can work. No, absolutely not. But that said, it's not far off. No. I think, I think him playing Kante as a box-to-box is maybe a little bit of a mistake. He's got to play the, the defensive midfield yeah, role. That's what he is. That's, that's what Angola, made Angola Kante the world-class plays, player that he is. He played box-to-box in the World Cup final. Let's be real. Like He can do it, but the thing is, Jorginho needs the help. Yeah, he's he's getting a little bit overwhelmed physically. As soon as people stop the passing lanes, Jorginho is just a passenger. And we talked about this on the podcast as well before. Um, th- we've seen this before. We've seen exactly how he struggles. And you know, it's Sari's own fault. He doesn't listen to us. I don't know what to say. Uh, let's so- <laughs> let's put it this way: Phil Jones has more assists than Jorginho. 
Okay, well, that's just a silly stat. Well, Ger- well Ger- Jorginho's not had a, a great season at all. I mean, he's he's looked pretty awful. But for he's always Chelsea. been isolated. But when that's your that, when that's your marquee signing coming into the season, and he's been playing as badly as he has been, what what else are you supposed to do? You have Eden Hazard who wants to leave. You you don't have an academy to pull from because, as we talked about on another pod, yeah, Chelsea do not have young players. Here's another thing. I think I think perhaps like Maurizio Sarri knows Jorginho better than we do. You know, he won basically was the the heart of that attacking Napoli side. You know, he's got one of the best midfielders in the world in Conte. Maybe Conte and the rest of the team are struggling to adapt to Sarri ball. Like these are very good players, and by all accounts, they should be title contenders, but they're not. They're not adapting to the tactics. They're not adapting to the manager. Came out and said they were hard to manage. That's not good. Conte had problems. Ancelotti had problems. Roberto Di Matteo had problems. All of these managers have had problems. And there's one constant, and that's the players. I'd say ship them all out. If, they, if they've came into the club in the last two years, keep them. Anybody older than two years, ship them all out. Ship out Hazard. Ship out Aspilicueta. He's the captain, for Christ's sake, and he's not doing anything about this. All he, did, all he does is go on Sky Sports and say, oh, we're sorry to the Chelsea fans. <laughs> I'd be pissed. And I do agree with you. Um, but I mean, let's be honest, that's not the way that football works. Um, it's not going to happen. So then my next question for you guys is, Is uh, have we seen the end of Maurizio Sarri? Or do you yes. guys think he's going to carry on? Yes, I think he's, he's going to walk or he's going to be fired because th- this is Chelsea. So you both agree that he's probably on borrowed time at this point? Yeah. The way Abramovich runs his business is if you're not providing for him now and even if you are providing for him now as soon as he gets sick of you you're gone so i think sorry his days are numbered as we speak um there were sort of rumblings today that uh frank lampard might be in line to take over for sorry when that eventually happens because we all know it's going to but then again he's he's going into a team that has been set up to fail by the ma- managers that have come before him so you know, what are you what are you walking into? He's not going to get a war chest in order to buy whoever he wants. We know that already. Um, and unless he's willing to build the academy, where does he go? I think this all. I think for me, it just comes down to Roman Abramovich. He's very similar in Perez for Madrid, and it's tough. Like Lampard would have to pull a Zidane. He'd have to win everything. But even then, Zidane didn't keep his job. Yeah, Zidane got burned out. The expectations were too high. He probably couldn't... I think him not being able to hold on to Ronaldo was a huge deal for him, and that's probably partially why he quit. Um, I mean, Ronaldo was also facing legal problems in Spain, so I think... But that was was beforehand. Like, like when Ronaldo quit, that was well beforehand. And yeah, no, I think I think the whole tax evasion thing definitely did a number on on Ronaldo. Don't well. all the players in Spain face tax evasion? I don't know what evasion? it is with Spain players and tax evasion, but it just seems to be a, a rampant problem over there. So yeah, the, the, I think they will have the same lawyer who's trying to <laughs> <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. So let's jump now to the um, other team. That is climbing the table there. So we're talking about Liverpool and Bournemouth. Uh, Liverpool won comfortably three nil. Well, we are the table. <laughs> I meant to say at the top of the table now, trying to fight for first place there and hold on to it. Um, so uh, Liverpool, mm. uh, they played really well. Um, they seem to to kind of be bouncing back from that 
there was a little bit of a wobble there in form that, and there was some concern that they weren't going to be hold be able to hold it. Um, but it seems like they've uh, now, mind you, they were playing Bournemouth, um, but Bournemouth can be a sleeping dragon. They're one of those teams that I feel that uh, depending on the day that you play they, them, and we're definitely causes problems in the can. past. Yeah, I think uh, Bournemouth showed exactly what they are. They're mid table side. Liverpool showed exactly who they are. They're top of the league. Um, so three nothing was a it was a comfortable scoreline for Liverpool. Um, Vinaldum had a cheeky, <laughs> cheeky finish. Oh, that goal is uh, disgusting. I mean, what else can you say? They come away three nil. They deserved a three nil. I have a lot to say. Well, okay, because, we'll, we'll let you talk I, then. <laughs> because I, I'm, I might support Liverpool just a bit. Um, I have to start with just apologizing for my previous comments on the podcast. I was really angry and I was shocked and confused and scared about what was the season about to happen. But then I saw a tweet from Gary Lineker who put it so well. He says, I'm so glad we're all over that defensive crisis, that crisis Liverpool had, which they didn't lose a game. <laughs> that, really, that really That's puts true. it into perspective. We didn't lose a game. I mean, we look shaky. But I think everybody's collective expectations got a little bit out of hand. And blips are natural for a lot of teams, all title-winning teams, all title-chasing teams. The blips do happen. I mean, for City, their blip cost, cost them three games. They lost three games. And for us, we drew three games, basically. We didn't lose as many points as they did. So, I mean, we're, we're second, but we have the game in hand. So really, the title's still in our, in, in our hands. It's ours to lose. What a response, though, from the entire cop and the team. Like, this was Liverpool back to its best in, on all counts. You know, the, 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 the counter-attacking football, the link-up, the midfield. I think Naby is finally, finally starting to show what he can do. And that's huge because he's just, he came in, he was really good, then he got injured, then he lost a bit of momentum. And then coming back into the team when it was underperforming, it was just, people were asking questions about his future. And that was overblown. That was completely unnecessary. But the team was back to its best. Liverpool was back to its best. Anfield was back to its best. We're up for it. They looked unbeatable. They looked like a team like they were at the beginning of the season who just were not going to lose. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think that's huge for them. Uh, it's going to make an exciting end of the season uh, these last coming, these weeks that are coming up now. Um, although we, we do still have Spurs that... They, the chance is there. I mean, mathematically, mathematically yeah. they are still in it. Um, and you know what? They're somehow pulling out results. <laughs> um, you were really worried about this. Hyunmin Son is pulling out results. He Spurs is. aren't doing that much. Son is doing everything he can right now. What about now. Ericsson, though? Ericsson is, he's one of those like steady players. He's, he's Mr. Reliable. You know, even when he shows up that he's going to make those chances, he's going to make the, uh, uh, the shots that you need. And, give some good set pieces but for the most part um again it's been sawn right place right time putting the ball in the back of the net when we need it uh, and with kane ap approaching uh, a comeback and deli ali should be back uh not too long uh it, it spurs i mean they're going to be getting their full squad back and at that point i mean you know the fact that they're pulling up results now with these injuries is it's huge for them i think it it, it also kind of i know we kind of shit on spurs a few weeks ago um about not having the depth um to have like oliver skip play this game and play really well um you know hugo Lloris isn't really having 
his best season in a Spurs shirt, but we're still uh, we're still chugging along. You know, it's the it's the little engine that could, I guess. I don't know if there's any stats to back this up, but it feels like whenever Erickson scores, you guys win. Uh, I feel like there was a stat like that, but I can't really remember what it was. But there was a stat like that where Erickson had scored in um, I forget how many spurs wins in in a row but yeah i think you're right which also makes me wonder though is he scoring clutch goals or is he just scoring when the rest of the team is scoring so whatever it is it's like erickson's very influential to that team and whenever you have your important players step up it gives the team a boost of confidence too i also think that um just to kind of touch on what you were saying there peter um the the fact that we were talked about a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, Spurs don't have depth and, and like you said, they are pulling up results, but I think they're also getting a lot of, I don't want to say uh, dumb luck, but I mean, that game against Leicester, there was quite a few chances for Leicester to tie it. Uh, I mean, Vardy missing that penalty more times than not, that ball's going in the back of the net, right? Now you're at, um, you know, a tie game and it's a whole different question, right? So, I mean, and then Erickson goes up the field, scores a goal takes it to nil and now all of a sudden the game's changed right and towards the end of the game i think the last what eight minutes nine minutes lester was all over and and mind you you know spurs uh defended well but it just seemed that lester wasn't able to to get the ball in the back of the net um however that being said like i like i was saying i don't want to call it dumb luck per se but they're also the the chances that should be going against them are going for them and in their favor and that's huge oh yeah that's exactly how it's going right now um, I think that the ball is bouncing the right way for, for Spurs at the moment. Um, but when you look at the stats, like Leicester had more shots on target than Spurs. They took more total shots than Spurs. It's just the ones that Spurs were taking were going in the net. Uh, and that's what matters, right? It just seems to be what's happening right now. Um, it, it's, it's a nail-biting time. Because, you know, if we start to slip, we can slip to sixth pretty quickly. You could, but that's not going to happen because since Kane's injury, your fixture list has been, I'm not going to say easy, but it hasn't been the worst, has it? No, it hasn't been the worst. So it's kind of been... Uh, like aside from Chelsea Carabao Cup, like you had Palace in the FA Cup, you had Watford, then you had Newcastle, uh, you had Leicester, which you just played. Now you're going to have Dortmund, which I guess is the biggest game you've had in, since the Carabao Cup. That's not bad. Yeah. So coming into the Champions League, obviously... Dortmund, top of the Bundesliga right now. So that's going to be tough, mm. uh, especially given the injuries that we have and players just coming back from injury. Right. It's going to be tough. But again, uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to kind of show the, the depth, big air quotes, mm-hmm. that we have. Um, if we really do want to make a Premier League push, we have to remember that we're also, you know, luckily we crashed out of two... <laughs> two tournaments in a week uh, so we kind of have a little bit of flexibility but right. i remember watching the draw well hearing the champions league draw and saying please don't give us dortmund please don't give us dortmund and of course we got dortmund i'm cautiously optimistic i am too i like dortmund versus spurs is just dortmund versus, yeah sorry spurs versus <laughs> dortmund is a fantastic fixture for the neutral like me and you know both attacking teams both very talented teams with some very unique players just going at it. I'm, I'm really stoked for that. Um, it could go either way. I think on the f- face of it, I think Dortmund might edge it just on form alone. Yeah, I, I agree. But honestly, 
going out to Dortmund wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But then again, you like what? What would your ideal scenario be? Go deep in the Champions League, or give it up and secure a top three, top two? To me, it's top three, top two. Because if we go deep in the Champions League, say we go to the semifinals, mm. we don't get into the Champions League automatically no. next season. So, you know, we're opening this brand new stadium. We want it lost eventually opening a brand new stadium we want to have champions league football in that stadium so we have to guarantee that we finish top four right so we can sell out and try and go deep in the champions league but i gotta say two three four if not one that's what we should be aiming for in the prem it's it's possible and i mean if spurs somehow can manage to kind of sneak in from behind and it's it's highly unlikely but mathematically possible uh, and they can take that top spot i mean all will be forgiven in regards to falling out of two cups in the same week <laughs> i mean i think i think spurs finishing you know in the top four is not in doubt really there's nine points between them and united um that might change obviously but it's very, very unlikely that they're going to drop out of those places. And then again, I don't see Arsenal or Chelsea realistically challenge for fourth. If it is between you and United at the end of the season, those those two will just swap positions, really. I don't see an outside threat coming in. Yeah, I don't think that um, Spurs falling out of top four is by any means a, a possibility. But uh, that being said, let's jump now to another team that is just absolutely on fire uh so there's that grin again (laughs) so uh united with a super comfortable 3-0 win uh at craven cottage against fulham uh talk about a um a coin with two heads in this situation i mean you got sorry on one hand with chelsea having an absolute nightmare and you got ole gunner salkshar who i feel like we've talked about a lot these last five weeks um for good reason on the other side just having the time of his life with a team that just looks absolutely unbeatable uh, I mean, Paul Pogba looked amazing again. This guy's on fire since uh, Solskjaer's come in. Uh, you had Anthony Martial with that Ronaldo-esque goal. That was very uh, Terry Henry-esque. <laughs> well, I, I was actually looking. They um, There was a goal that Ronaldo had scored a couple years back for United, and it was identical to how Martial scored. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in, step over, step over, into the box, and then place it right there. Uh, low shot and it, it was just uh, they had put it uh, superimposed it side side by side and it was like step for step like almost identical um so i'm gonna stick with ronaldo-esque okay <laughs> see martial is definitely my favorite united player by a long shot and it's got nothing to do with the performance because realistically i want united to get relegated but that's not gonna happen um but just Stop every time with the hating no <laughs> never they're a great team to watch i mean from a neutral perspective hate them as much as you want oh as no a they're great fan, but at, from a neutral perspective they are a fantastic oh team no to they're, watch. They're, they're exactly what like, now so, they are and now <laughs> they are Solskjaer is what the doctor ordered but just going back to Martial for a second just this boy when he's in full flood I don't think there's a single more enjoyable footballer to watch in the Premier League this boy just glides over everything it's it's like he's like half levitating it's it's insane his dribbling style his pace his technique and just he's just a joy to watch i haven't enjoyed watching a footballer this much since well Henri really he he's laid on his feet he is and and i think he's a brilliant footballer um and at the same time i mean how do you not enjoy watching Solskjaer? i mean he's just he's such a likable guy and uh, martial came out today saying that he really hopes that they um appoint Solskjaer to the the position permanently um he really seems to like him 
which is awesome to see the players coming out in support for him. Because he's just, I haven't liked a manager this much since Fergie. He's just a guy that you just, you see him, you hear him talk, and you just, you you like him. You want to be his friend. I mean, <laughs> you know, I would love to play for this guy if if I was good enough to play. In the I, don't, I don't think I'm buying him a beer anytime soon, but I know what you mean. Um, he's like any manager that can get this team winning, create a culture of winning, go back to what made them great in the first place, should get the job. And we, I think we all agree he should get the job, right? Yeah, I think the big difference between him and Sari this year is that he's just letting them play. He's putting the players in the positions that, that they came up playing, the, the positions that they like playing, um, and it's worked out so far. You, we have to remember that the centre-back pairing that he used for this match, Smalling and Jones, were the same centre-back pairing that last year and the year before were raked across the hot coals because they weren't good enough. But here's the thing is, I think the, 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 every single player in United, with the exception of maybe some of the youth academy members who are in the first team, um, they all are fairly football intelligent. Like, they both... They, hey, I'd hope you have to be to play for Manchester United. Right, you, you definitely have to be, because, I, like, Solskjaer's style definitely lends credence to the fact that he does let the players just kind of get on with it. He has a general game plan, he has a general formation, a system, a shape, and, you know, some procedures when it comes to defending. But when it comes to attacking, free-flowing attacking is all about creativity. You see this with Liverpool as well. And to a little bit of an extent, City. City's very rigid, but it's very precise and perfect, uh, which is just 100% coaching. But with United and Liverpool's attack, they're both unpredictable. This is These are decisions being made by the players for themselves and for their, like there's a camaraderie. They, have, they play for others as well. Um, whereas with Sarri, if he let the players play, I think they'd be, they'd be way worse than they are right now. Chelsea. I don't, I don't think Chelsea have the personnel to allow that to happen, quite frankly. No, I, I, I'm not like comparing the, the personnel. I'm comparing kind of the coaching style where Solskjaer, I feel, is a little bit more laid back. Mm. But then when he needs to, he can really lay into the players. Right. Um, but I feel like he, he's gained their respect because he's been there. Yeah, and he knows. He's, he's won things. He's played under the best manager in the world. Whereas if you look at... You look at Maurizio Sarri's playing record. Uh, I don't even think he played professional in Italy. Well, I think he played very low professional in Italy. Not that you need to play high professional in order to become a good manager. Yeah. Because obviously we've seen that some people are just... Jurgen Klopp. They just know the, mat, uh, know yeah. the game. Um, but I, I don't think he gets the same respect because he doesn't have the same folklore behind him I, I i don't think that's the case i think if you put sorry in manchester united you'd be seeing similar maybe a little bit more structured football but you should still be seeing really good attacking football i think with sorry's problems it comes down to the players again they don't want to play for him they don't want to play in the way that he wants to play like that that report from miguel delaney who is a very well-respected chelsea correspondent saying that they can't deal with the tactics that really says more to me than anything else but i mean you also have big personalities at Manchester United who didn't like Mourinho and didn't want to play for Mourinho. Because they, they were attacking footballers and he's making them play like, like park the bus and stuff, you know? I, I it, just, it didn't work. I mean, yeah. the way that Mourinho was trying to play United, it, just, it wasn't a United way of playing. And when you have a team that has the attacking prowess of United and you try to have them basically sit back and, and 
take pressure on and try to to catch the other teams on the counter. It just doesn't work, and that's what we saw at the beginning of this season. Right, and it was an absolute nightmare. Right, and like if I'm thinking about Chelsea's personnel right now, you've got Iguain and Jorginho who are sorry graduates, basically. You've got Hazard who is one of the best wingers this game has ever seen. You've got Pedro who grew up with tiki taka football in Barcelona. You have Angolo Kante who is in Claudio Ranieri counterattacking Leicester side that won the bloody title. You have the back line, which, you know, whatever, which aren't, isn't great, but they, both Alonso and um, Aspilicueta can both do a number on the on the flanks and can get up there and provide crosses and provide that attacking overlap that you see now in modern teams, with in modern football, with the fullbacks being very, very attack-minded. And yet it's not working. Chelsea have the personnel to play sorry ball. They did play sorry ball. Now it's becoming a player player power problem and i i have to agree with you 100 percent. and uh, i mean i think that we're gonna see it get worse before it gets better for chelsea um but you know what united are now uh undefeated in their last 11 matches under Solskjaer, and i think at this point to not give him the uh permanent position would be insane by edward woodward um woodward it, did, did Mourinho say that getting into top four was going to be a miracle he did. <laughs> and Sokshar basically proved him wrong already. He did it in nine games. He did. Games. Which, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm super uh, happy for them. I mean, as a neutral, they're just a lot of fun to watch now. Uh, watching his press conferences after the game, watching how, you know, his eyes light up talking about his players. Like, it's just nice to see that excitement um, at United again. Um, and with a manager who, who truly cares about this team and not just himself. And that was my biggest gripe with uh, Mourinho is that he was just all about himself and, and all the trophies that he had won. <laughs> I have nothing to say. All right, guys. So let's quickly just talk about a few of the other games that happened this weekend. Uh, Burnley beat Brighton 3-1. Yay! Uh, Watford 1-0 against Everton. Yay! Uh, and Cardiff City with a wild, wild win 2-1 against Southampton. I want to talk about it. Yeah, we can, let's talk about it. Um, no, too many bad things happened in that match. <laughs> too many bad things happened. The last... Three minutes were just insane. Pandemonium. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching for a second. It took me a second to kind of process what had happened because Southampton equalizes um, on horrible defending by Cardiff. Um, and then all of a sudden, without a blink of an eye, um, Cardiff City goes right up the field and Kenneth Soro puts the ball in another horribly defended situation. The ball sitting in the box, Southampton players, three of them standing around it. Nobody tries to kick at it. And Zohar just takes a shot and just puts it right through traffic into the bottom corner. I was blown away. I sent you guys, I think I was watching it, yeah. the, and I just, I, I, I was stunned sitting there staring at it thinking, how did that just happen? I was, just, uh, you know, watching the highlights of the game. I uh, just I was like, yeah, this is some real championship level shit. <laughs> yeah, I look at them, 17 and 18, and I'm like, yeah, that's about right. But I love watching the relegation battle matches. They're so good. They're always the best They're at so the desperate. end of the season. Yeah. They're so desperate. It's the best. Because you either have a team that is all out attack just trying to get those three points or you have the team that's like nah man we're gonna sit back here and defend and just try and come over the point because we need as many points as we can get but when you have 17 18 you know anywhere up to i guess it's 14 in the premier league this year 13th in the premier league this year coming towards the end of the season those are the best games can i can i be real like you know from like okay realistically how does feel are gone they're they're yeah they're gone 13 points from safety right now with uh 11 games to go they're gone fulham are seven points off of 18th place that surprises me that surprises me because they're not the worst but they're not no consistency whatsoever 
they're realistically gone as well, I yeah. think. Yeah. So then you've got a relegation battle between Southampton, Cardiff, uh, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, Crystal Palace, and Leic- not Leicester, sorry, but up until Crystal Palace. Between 18th and 13th, there is three points. I know. And that's what I was saying last week that it's, I think I was telling you guys, I'm not sure if the mic's wrong or not when we talked about this, but I was saying how it's such a, like, there's three points between, was that six positions, seven positions? And like, 18th and 13th, I think. Five, and so five positions. Yeah. Then yeah, you sorry. have, then you have Leicester, Bournemouth, West Ham, and Everton who are in the range of 32 to 33 points. So that's one point between these four teams. There is, they're, they're two weekends away from being dragged down into yeah, it. They're as not well. safe. Nobody's safe. I really want Everton to get rallied. <laughs> I cannot express how much I want that to happen. I will be more. I will be happier about that than Liverpool winning the title. Yeah, uh, it'd be pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie. I know that this is an unpopular opinion, especially with Peter, but I am actually happy for Cardiff City to get the win. Uh, they've gone through a lot these last couple of weeks. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and I, I know that you know you are a bit of a Saints fan over there, but um, I, I was happy for them. And um, just to kind of touch on that, we did discuss last week um, or a couple weeks ago the the situation regarding Emiliano Sala, and I just want to give an update that on uh, this past Thursday, um, the body was formally identified as that of being Emiliano Sala. So thankfully, um, his family and his teammates can have a little bit of closure. Um, There's still no word on the pilot, David Ibbotson. He is still missing. Uh, His family have just started a another GoFundMe page to try to continue the search for him. Mbappe um, yes, donated a lot of money. Mbappe donated 27,000 uh, euros to the, um, to the cause, which was awesome to see. Uh, and I hope more footballers continue to, because I think it's fair for both families to have that closure. All of us here at the Starting 11 podcast um, send our thoughts to the Salah family. Uh, and that's going to do it for us here on part one. Uh, part two, we're going to talk a little bit more TFC uh, and we'll look at our takes and misses for the week. You're listening to the Starting 11 podcast. Hey everyone, if you like what you hear so far, please hit that subscribe button and leave a rating and review to let us know your thoughts about the show. We would also love to hear from you, so please feel free to send any comments or questions to the starting xi podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting xi podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at xi podcast. Now, let's get back to it. All right, welcome back to part two of the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's talk now a little Toronto FC. Uh, they're currently still trying to figure out their roster situation, and it is not looking good. Um, first with the Vanderweel situation, uh, they have until the beginning of the season to get that whole mess sorted out. So whether they release him, uh, buy out his contract, uh, he has still been training at the club training grounds. So, uh, and there has been murmur of him possibly not leaving the club, but. Peter thinks that is highly unlikely, um, as do I, but just saying that the the, the murmurs are there. Um, and um, apparently, according to some sources, uh, Toronto FC are looking at Alejandro Pozzuolo. Yeah, uh, he, <laughs> he said it, he said it. He didn't butcher it. From uh, KRC Genk. In Belgium. Over in Belgium. If you remember, Belgium's the same place we got Victor Vazquez. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so he's the captain over there. Um, stats are underwhelming to say the least, uh, and yet he's being. <laughs> That's <off>. an understatement. <laughs> they're, they're only underwhelming because we're rumored to be putting him on designated player money. If yeah. we put him on uh, transfer allocation money, just like we did Vasquez, I think very few people would complain about this. I mean, the stats 
speak to a Vasquez-like replacement. Right now, this season of 1819 from transfermarket.co.uk, 36 games, 7 goals, 18 assists. And then last season was 44 goals, sorry, 44 starts, sign up 44 goals. <laughs> 44 goals, sign them now. 44 starts, 8 goals, 11 assists. But then, the season before that, 16-17, he had 53 games, 8 goals, 22 assists. And that was when he was 24, and he's 27 now. So, you know what, I think this could be a good signing for the midfield but I don't know why this is a designated player signing. Yeah, I think the rumored uh, amount of money was like 4 million euros, which would work out to like close to what Seba was making uh, in dollars. Um, so, I mean, I like I said, nothing's been completed yet because there is a whole nother situation um, regarding this. So basically, Genk do not want him to leave. Um, they have been very adamant that they want him to stay until June. He's their club captain understandable he's he's the Um, club captain and they're in for a couple of competitions which reportedly would net them in the region of 15.25 million euros which is a lot of money for a club like gang and it's understandable however um Pazuelo has made it clear that he wants to leave um and that he wants to pursue this uh and gang is refusing and that leaves the player and also toronto fc in a bit of a sticky situation because the way that it works is if Pazuelo does not get permission to leave or if they do not get him out of his contract uh, and he's forced to say or he breaks his contract, well, then he is then ineligible to be bought by Toronto FC because the MLS has a rule that players who breach their contracts cannot be brought into the league. Um, And so in that case, it's one of those catch-22s because if he stays, he misses out on coming to Toronto FC. Uh, If he leaves and breaks his contract, well, he still will miss out on coming to Toronto FC and they can no longer buy them. I mean, I guess the the silver lining on this cloud that is Alejandro Pozuelo is that now that TFC have shown their interest in him, they're now he's now their discovery player. So no other team can touch him in the league. I don't know why they would offer designated player money in the arena of what Sebastian Javinko got when we had to look this guy up. When they said Javinko, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, bring in Javinko. That's awesome. When they were like... Yeah, when they were like, Alejandro Pozuelo, I'm like, who? It's like that uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, that first scene. Star-Lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's, it's one of those signings where, you know, Ali Curtis is coming out saying, we're going to buy a player, a uh, really good player in his prime, who, who's playing on a, a Define prime. Well, he's <laughs> like, 27 years old, okay? He's 27 years prime, old. Yeah. He'll be 28 this year. Mm-hmm. But... If we've been looking at the league, the way the league has been going the past few years, the prime for MLS players are the 24, 25-year-old players. They're coming in, look at Almiron, um, you know, they're coming in at 23, 24, okay, maybe as a young designated player, um, with almost the view of we're going to groom this player and sell them later. I think with Pizzuolo, if you, if you sign him, you're keeping him long-term. Yeah. So if it doesn't work out, now you have to do the same thing that we did for years and years and years of you have to buy out a designated player's salary, which goes against, uh, well, the club has to do it, obviously, at their expense. Um, but once they do it in season, they can't sign anybody else, uh, or at least with that, with that salary. It's, it's a very clever wording from the GM by saying we're going to sign a player in his prime because it 
sounds a lot more exciting than it's played out because internationally you could say being 27 year old footballer you're in your prime that's the prime for a lot of players the majority median age is around 26 to 29 and he fits that description yes he is in the prime of his he's in the prime of his playing days but so are we <laughs> you know you know we're all like the same age roughly around that that mark um yeah, just very crafty statement made. I just hope that there is a plan, there is a game plan around Pozzuolo. I could definitely see him being sort of the 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 regista, the playmaker of the team. But you know, then you have a personal issue because if if Pozzuolo plays as the regista, as the guy who kind of holds the midfield together or or glues attack with midfield, what is Michael Bradley for? Is he just going to be a is he not going to be box to box anymore? Is he is he just going to stay back? I mean, Bradley is getting a little bit older, so maybe it might suit him to just stay back and be that interceptor, whereas Potswello carries the team forward. Well, I mean, there's still questions around Michael Bradley, and and we talked last week about Josie Altador as well, and and where they're going to be or or what their contracts look like. So, I mean, even that kind of has a question mark on it because that's assuming that you know he's still going to be part of this team mm. at some point. I mean, being their captain, you would hope so. But the way that this team operates, especially this um, this front office, there's really no certainty with this team. Uh, and that's that's really concerning. And then the manager still hasn't said anything to the press at all. We don't even know we what the starting 11 anything. is. We don't know what the starting 11 is going to look like. He doesn't know what the starting 11 is going to look like <laughs> because he doesn't even know who he has at his disposal. They're, they're coming up against Independiente, as we said on the 19th, as uh, is, is their first leg against Independiente. And uh, to be honest, I'm kind of expecting TFC to get dragged through the mud. Uh, this is going to be a really bad Champions League for us. Uh, I think we're going to go out in the first round. I really hope not. <laughs> I hope we have a terrible season so that people can finally see how bad Vanny is as a coach. But the thing is that we saw it last season, and and it was you know it was sort of shouted from the from the rooftops yeah, but, like that, and and nothing happened. Yeah, but Vanny could side injuries, I guess, like slow start to the season, hard to recover from, yada yada yada. But you know what? That was his fault. And I mean, when you look at what he did last year, I get it. You want to make it deep in the Champions League, but to start, you know, TFC two, but not even mm. TFC two. I mean, we were playing like B players from TFC two. Um, to your team, squad yeah. for the first couple of weeks, and you get yourself dug in such a deep hole that you can't climb out of it. And there was no like mention of having any signings coming in either. No, and it's it's inexcusable because I mean, you look at teams like in the Premier League, and I, look, I understand that it's a different league. It's I understand that, but you know, they go and they play Champions League, they play in the FA Cup, they play in the Carabao Cup, yeah. And, and mind you, for the smaller cups, yeah, okay, they will change up their squad a little bit, but when they go to Champions League, you don't have guys sitting, you know. Their 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 top uh, their top players in the prem because they're going to Champions League mm. like they're playing their full squad these guys are playing these guys are professionals yep. and they need to be able to go down in the Champions League play and then come back to MLS and play again Wherever, I mean that is your job why I've are been. you being why are you being paid all this money you know to be sat and and rested and mind you you know what yeah we did make it far in the Champions League but at the end, at the end of the day no one remembers second place I wonder mm. how much. How many other MLS teams have a second 11? Well, that's the thing. Not a lot of them do. Hmm. Um, based on the salary cap league um, and the, the salary rules that are thrown around in the MLS, 
not a lot of them have you know a, a top 11 and a second 11 or even like people on the bench that could be on the 11 well they do uh, you you have to have at least a few that yeah that are your go-tos right but you, um, do, you don't look but at not any... enough to make like a solid b squad yeah it's like no. i mean again like you said differently but you look at city's bench and you're like yep all of these guys could start and they'd be fine yeah, I don't think you can say that about any any MLS team, really. No, but you also have to think the MLS, the level of the Premier League, obviously, to me, it's the top league in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, it um, is by far the, the benches. Top obviously, league. are the top benches in the world, if you want to put it that way. When you look at the MLS, you have say three world class, four world class players per per team, maybe, and then on the bench, it's it's a very steep drop off. Once once you're past those two or three really good players on each team. And that's the downfall with a salary cap league is that there's, and that's where the MLS kind of lacks is that there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of star power in the sense that you can't afford to have a ton of star power. Like you have your DP players, you have your TAM players and yeah, okay. We have some big names now in the MLS, which is a big deal. I mean, Rooney, who's now past his prime, Ibrahimovic, you know, we had Sebastian Giovinco. Uh, I think Joseph Martinez is probably the biggest name right now. Well, you got Carlos Vela and Giovanni Dos Santos, which is, Jonathan which is big, Dos Santos. Which is big, and then you got Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, but the problem is that, you know, and this is sort of my gripe with the, the salary cap league, is that on the one hand, it's, it's great because any team can win the cup. Yeah, with it's the salary parody. cap that's league, exactly what it is. Yeah, and it, that's great. But at the same time, it's North American sports for you, it, which I I agree. But I don't like that because I feel like if your team has the money, then go out and spend it. A team like MLSE, you know, which is I believe is the the richest club in the MLS, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they should be able to go out and splash the money they have, and you know, bring in some real superstars on this team and, and have a, a full second starting eleven think- because they have the money to do it. I think you're not wrong. Definitely not wrong. But I think the salary cap is good. I would keep the salary cap, but raise it a bit. And what I would also do is get rid of the designated player, player rule. Because if I have 50 million to spend on a squad, let's say, and then, you, you know, you're giving me, what's the current, like, non-DP salary cap? It's like something... $500,000, I think. $500,000. Somewhere around there, yeah. So I'm only allowed to pay three players in my team more than 500k. Yeah, and at that point, you can pay whatever you want. They just count for 500 and, See, that doesn't make yeah. sense to me because I have X amount to spend in the start of the season. Maybe I don't want a $9 million player in my team. Maybe I want 11 $1 million players. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of where... Uh, the, so the main reason... I always have to talk to people about this because they don't understand, especially when I'm talking to people from, from <laughs> Europe... Um, or even South America, they don't understand the salary cap. They're like, well, why don't they just go buy this guy? Why don't they go buy that guy? Who are they Who are they looking at? These guys are no names. And they're no names because you have to understand that there's what's called, there's profit sharing, right? So obviously, as teams make money, the profits get spread out throughout the league, right? Um, and in order to make sure that the teams stay healthy and that they don't fold because they want a healthy league and they want a, a parity full league, they instituted a salary cap because otherwise you'd have teams like Toronto FC, like the LA Galaxy going out and buying all these top name players and getting into, uh, realistically getting into debt based on these players because the return you're getting from those concessions, those jersey sales, everything like that, they might not pay for the salary that you're paying for this player, yeah. right? So it's it's 
in order for the longevity of the league and the health of the league, they instituted a salary cap. It's stupid, but at the same time, it's helping the league as a whole. Which I understand, but they also need to up the profile of the league. And I know they've been trying. They have, they have over the last few years. Yeah. But I mean, then, you know, and and I agree and they're doing great things with league MX and trying to create these new cups and and things to kind of raise the profile. But then I get it. I kind of get, pissed off because then you go and you watch a, a new england revolution game and they're playing on a friggin' football field oh minnesota lines or minnesota the Ugh. worst and like to me like right there anybody from the uk or any anybody that watches you know european football or anywhere else in the world they look at this and they think to themselves like i'm not going to take this seriously well, well, i mean there, look, was, there was a team that played on astroturf too a bunch of them play. Toronto FC? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And that's the other problem too, is then you have players like Ibrahimovic who won't, they, they won't play on turf because of his knee problems. What? And so then he's, you know, there's only certain games that he's being put in. And I, I feel like it's just, it's, it's a disgrace to the league and it's a disgrace it to the sport. It is. Here's a personal story. Uh, my family was down in Florida. Uh, this was 2007, 2008. Um, David Beckham had obviously just come into the league with the LA Galaxy. Uh, we were down in Florida on vacation. Uh, my parents put my brother and I on a plane back to Toronto to see David Beckham uh, play because we didn't know when we'd see him ever right. again. <laughs> that was when we had AstroTurf. Uh, he didn't play. I don't even think he showed up. I think he sat on the, maybe sat on the bench. Um, so we got you know, on a plane from Florida all the way back to Toronto and I uh, didn't even get to see the guy we went back to see play. Yeah, it's it's an insult to somebody like David Beckham, a legend of the game, to make him play on AstroTurf. It's an insult to every professional footballer. No, it is. And and you bring, you know, all these big name players and you're trying to raise the profile and, and then you have them playing on these this, like these garbage fields. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, and then you have at BMO Field now, you have the Argos. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I think, I think uh, uh, like, I could get heated. <laughs> in, in defense of the salary cap, if we didn't have, like the salary cap, I think is a little bit necessary because you, like you said, it protects struggling teams. And for the good little the league, Columbus Crew, yeah, <laughs> only the Columbus Crew, or or Toronto FC five years ago, uh, they were never struggling. Okay, maybe they weren't struggling, but the point is, is that we could use the help because soccer's profile in Canada isn't great, and I don't think it'll ever be great. But it is got a profile now in US, thanks to the MLS and thanks to the persistence of teams like New York Red Bulls, New York City FC, Atlanta United, you know, Columbus, Portland, all these like big institutions, if you will, of MLS. And if, if you had a traditional promotion relegation system, it may not have worked. If you had, didn't have a salary cap, you would see a rich getting very rich and then the league would fizzle out. But now that the league has some profile, now you have players being attracted to the league in their prime. I think it's time to do away with all of this designated player rubbish. The salary cap should be increased, keep it but increase it now to reflect this increased status of the league. And you're right. And just to quickly touch on what you were talking about there uh, regarding the uh, football's popularity here in Canada, um, it is actually growing uh, a lot. And the reason for that is because of um, affordability. Uh, Syrian Um, refugees? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And Alfonso Davies. And Alfonso Davies. So, you know, to um, to play hockey... Uh, as a kid growing up, it's extremely expensive. Thousands I mean, of dollars thousands. a season. Yeah. And then when you get into rep hockey, you're looking into even like 
the high thousands. New equipment every year because it's growing out of it. It's, and hockey equipment is really expensive. Ice time's gonna, expensive. And so what's happening is that a lot of these families are not able to afford to play hockey, which is the preferred sport here in Canada. Can, uh, and can so ask, they're turning to football because it's more affordable. Yeah. Can I, because uh, like that's something I've had to learn uh, coming here, obviously. I'm not from here, duh. I don't know if you could tell. Um, is it that expensive because they can make it that expensive or is it just genuinely that expensive to play hockey? It's grown over time. It's become more and more expensive. Uh, I mean, since my brothers played, uh, so my brother's now 33. Don't hate me, Ryan. <laughs> 33, 34. He doesn't um, remember. <laughs> he won't remember either. You're just too um, old. So um, He's already fallen asleep. He hasn't got this far in the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so since he's played, uh, it's always just been really expensive. And I think it's because uh, to maintain ice is very expensive, Mm. which is kind of funny because we live in one of the coldest countries in the world. Um, But yeah, just the the overall maintenance of ice. um, It's supply and demand. So there's only so many rinks and there's more, way more teams than there are rinks available. Right. Right. So that's why there's there's hockey practice 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., all the way to like, you know, you're you're a 10 year old kid and you have hockey practice at 11 p.m. when you have school the next day. And right, and I think it probably geography has a big effect on everything as well. It does, because yeah. depending on where you live and, and the closer you are to like the metropolis, you'll you'll there'll be more rinks available. Um, but just for fun, like for an experiment, Chengiz, when you have a chance, go down to uh, your local rink and just hang out there for the day, and you'll see that the ice is constantly being used because, like Peter said, the supply and demand is so high. Like it's used from, like you said, five in the morning, whether it's it's school teams or it's the um, the younger kids, and then going all the way up to 11 o'clock at night when the last games are played, uh, the ice is just constantly in use. And so that's what makes it so yeah. expensive. Per- perhaps having more facilities would have that. And just looked up this stab that I remembered. Um, approximately 4.5 million of these 16 million people in the Netherlands are registered to one of 35,000 unique sports clubs in the city. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's and, and, like, and like, I feel like Amsterdam's the size of... Little India <laughs> in Toronto. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's leave the TFC talk there for now. Uh, let's quickly jump to our takes and misses for the week. Uh, Chengiz, I'm going to come to you first on this one, buddy. What do you got for us? So my miss this week is pertaining to the Cardiff-Southampton game. Uh, there was a minute silence for Emiliano Sala. Two dickheads from Southampton. Three, uh, three now. Three dickheads from Southampton. Pardon my inaccuracies but not my french because <laughs> fuck them um made obscene plain gestures during the uh the minute silence and they were shouting obscenities from the galley they were arrested thankfully but like come the fuck on like really disgusting just just foul behavior but my take for this week it's it was a hard one but like for me the thing that made me the happiest this week was just seeing Liverpool have their swagger back. It's just nice to see them back, and it's nice to not worry. And uh, honestly, my sphincter is very pleased about this. I've, I've been clenching a bit too hard. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'll jump to mine. Uh, so my miss for the week is just Paul Ince. Um being Paul Ince. <laughs> uh, so Paul Ince came out and said, I think I could have gone into United and done the job Solskjaer has done. Uh, let's just quickly compare Paul Ince's last 10 games as manager to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's last 10 games. Paul Ince has zero wins, one draw, nine <laughs> losses. L-L-L. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has nine wins, one draw, and zero losses. Uh, 
shut up, Pollens. Just it's shut like, up. Pollens, can you hold something for me? It's it's this L. Yeah. There's about nine of them, and they're yours. And my take for the week uh, comes from the City game. Uh, referee Mike Dean stole oh. the... <laughs> City may have gotten the goals, but Mike Dean stole the show. Uh, first, there was his amazingly flamboyant uh, penalty was, call. That was... That was the funniest shit I've ever seen. That was some Freddie Mercury-esque uh, amazing... He just plants that his was... knees and just... Boom! That he was, was ready to go. That was a power squat. <laughs> it was. He was. He was pumped. He was down there, and cool. I, I was really hoping that he was going to give his hundredth uh, red card, um, but he didn't. No. Um, you I would have seen. I would like to seen the uh, gesture for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard somebody mention maybe he should bring out one of those giant uh, um, novelty checks. The big, big <laughs> red card brings it out. Uh, but uh, that, and then at the end of the game, Sergio Aguero uh, goes over to get his match ball, which he deserved, and uh, Mike Dean hit it in his shirt behind his back. Uh, so just some good <laughs> typical Mike from Dean. Mike Dean. Who doesn't love him? Okay, so my take for this week. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this commercial, but um, Rodri Giggs, brother of Ryan Giggs, <laughs> uh, is on a Patty Power computer er, commercial in the UK talking about loyalty, and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> this, is, this is this is what we call in England needle. It is. It is just like it's stabbing stabbing poking twisting the needle a bit just everything in the commercial is just taking a stab at his brother and oh it's just what was it he was reading the paper uh, on wonder shots and it says united legend doesn't get dream job (laughs) yeah he's talking about like going to going to practice every day and like natural talent isn't all uh it's cracked up let's see (laughs) that scene where he's 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 uh training in the gym and this trainer says, come on, uh, Roger, just think of somebody who, who makes you angry. I say, oh, nobody comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such an ironic commercial. Yeah. Uh, good job, Patty Power. Come Always and sponsor the laugh. pod. Very, very <laughs> on brand for them, I have to yeah. say, because they have a history of just taking the piss. Yeah, you know, we're looking for sponsors and, uh, you know, we'll make fun of each other if, uh, <laughs> if you give us a sponsor. Whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever it takes, man. Um, and then my miss for this week, uh, City. So I know they won 6-0, but whoever runs AV at City, bad choice of song. (laughs) They're playing the Chelsea victory song after Chelsea get thrashed oh come on six that was nil. intentional that's a take, it's intentional man. but that's a man take. that's great banter man there's the guy up there he's getting high fives from everyone but you know show a little bit of uh remorse <laughs> for the fact that you're the the away team just got destroyed sorry he's probably gonna lose his job he's gonna go smoke was, a pack in an hour it was like re- <laughs> <laughs> it was uh not in best taste but at the same time it's chelsea they deserve it uh, yeah, definitely they deserve it. I think as a Spurs fan, you'll have no problem with me saying that. No. That, I think all of us in this room have no issue with you saying that Chelsea totally deserves it. Uh, if they got to, an, to any Chelsea supporters listening, uh, we're sorry, but you really brought this on yourself. <laughs> it's true. All right, guys. That's Flash gonna, in the pan. You're done. <laughs> Flash in the pan. <laughs> that's going to do it for us here on the Starting Eleven podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at XI Podcast. And please send us your questions or your comments about the show to the Starting Eleven Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Starting XI Podcast at gmail.com. And on behalf of Peter. <laughs> 
Yes, sir. Cheggies. Alejandro Pozzuello. And myself. Thank you so much for listening.